0: Welcome to the Blue Security Podcast, a weekly podcast for information security defenders, where we bring you discussions on best practices, tools, and implementation for enterprise security. Now, here are your hosts for today's show,
1: Andy Jaw and Adam Brewer. Welcome to this week's episode of the Blue Security Podcast. I'm Andy, your host. I'm Adam, your co-host. This week, we have a great show planned for you. We have Henrik Wojcik, who is a newly minted, Microsoft MVP who's going to join us and we're going to do an Microsoft Sentinel deep dive. And we haven't done one in a really long time. So we're going to go through basically all the way from what considerations you have when you're developing and deploying a brand new Sentinel instance. And then some of the things that you might want to think about as you get more mature, even if you already have a Sentinel deployment, some of the things that will make it better for you when it comes to looking at alerts, automation, maybe some of the playbooks and workbooks that you can take advantage of. So, Henrik, can you give us a little introduction for our listeners about yourself and your expertise in this area?
0: Yes, thank you, Andy. Hello, everyone. My name is Henrik Wojcik, and uh, I live in uh, Denmark, and I work in the banking sector at a company called Bank Data. And what we do actually... Uh, let's just boil it down, we are a developer house for the banks in Denmark, a lot of them. So we are like the IT department, so we develop the mobile apps for banks. And uh, yeah, uh, my area at the moment is that I'm located in Bank Data at a team called the Cloud Center of Excellence, where I work with Sentinel and the Microsoft 365, well, XDR platform.
1: Very good.
2: <laughs> you always got to think of those name changes. I saw the gears turning. It's yeah. Defender XDR now. Yes.
1: Yes. So the first thing when you're looking at a Sentinel deployment is usually if there are any type of data residency requirements, especially for U.S. companies, like working with EU companies, maybe GDPR or if you have regulated industries and you need to keep that separate, and then also if you have multiple tenant considerations. In your case, Henrik, when you designed your Sentinel deployment, did you take any of that into consideration?
0: Yeah, so we are mainly based in Denmark. Well, we are only in Denmark, so the the single-tenant, multi-tenant was pretty simple for us since we, have, we are owned by uh, seven banks and they each have their own tenant it was natural just to put a single Sentinel deployment in each of those standards. Um, yeah, and with the Workspace Manager now, it wasn't back then when we made the decision, but it is now, so we we kind of made the right move back then. And uh, our data recently, see, because we are in the EU, yeah, you guys know, we have the GDPR, mm-hmm. which is pretty, uh, yeah, it's regulated, so we have to follow that one. And uh, yeah, data needs to stay within the EU border, basically. Um, yeah, we we had we had one issue though with the SOC 2 Type 2. If you guys know what that is, mm-hmm. um, I think it's a regulation from the US, right? Um, actually, the core service, the Sentinel core service, is not uh, listed there as a SOC 2 Type 2. And all regulated companies in Denmark need to have the SOC two type two. So we we had a we had a, this uh, yeah we had to take another approach on it back then with the Sentinel because it's not listed at the core service at Microsoft. So we had to take a risk approach to it that we accept the risk and analyze the risk and so on. Th- that's what I remember from the data residency and compliance when we first implemented.
1: So you have a workspace within each single tenant at seven different tenants. And Correct. then now you're using the workspace manager, which is a preview feature to manage all those different workspaces.
0: The plan is uh, yes, <laughs> to okay. use, uh, to to get started on the workspace manager. Um, gotcha. At the moment, we have another setup where it's collected instead to
1: yeah, have you used Azure Lighthouse at all to try to manage these different workspaces?
0: <laughs> funny, funny. Yes, we actually have. It quickly went chaotic, <laughs> so to speak, uh, and we, we pushed from the git we we pushed from the GitHub repos with all the analytic rules back then, before workspace manager. Right, it it was really it it went. It went fast and it got out of hand fast. So we're trying to get back, back on track with the workspace manager actually deploying the same rules because there was a lot of issues with the GitHub push and stuff like that, what okay. we experienced.
1: Okay. And then I think a lot of other considerations uh, for companies when it comes to a deployment for Sentinel is Sentinel is a sim. And so the idea behind it is It is a security incident manager. And a lot of companies want to use a log aggregator as well as a SIM, but they're not really the same thing. And so like your, say for example, your firewall logs, whether it's using too much memory at your firewall or you're out of disk space or something like that, like operational logs that IT may want to know about, but not necessarily security professionals where we're looking at, Specific security alerts, and they want to push all those logs together because they want a log aggregator and then they want to push all that data to Sentinel. And what I think a lot of organizations don't realize is that the cost of using log analytics workspaces, which is our storage in Azure, that has a cost. And then when you push data to Sentinel, that also has a cost. And so you'd be paying double on things that you probably wouldn't need because it doesn't need to go through Sentinel, right? And so how do you look at separating out data that security professionals need versus say non-SOC data, data that is IT only that maybe would be beneficial for IT admins, but not necessarily security incident responders?
0: Short answer,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we just log it on. Yeah, we, we, we started out, like you just mentioned, that, uh, ah, CM, yeah, we need some analytics uh, and a log uh, place. Let's just throw it in Sentinel, everything. So what we actually did every time we spin up a landing zone with the subscription for a team, uh, it logs to their own log analytics workspace in their subscription, right? So they can get their application inside figures and stuff like that, but... We also put it over the central one where the sentinel instance is, so we actually double book all the data because we need a central place to keep track of it all. That's uh, so we haven't split it up. The the operations logs and the security logs are combined in the same workspace today, but we have actually talked about splitting it up because you're you're right. Mm -hmm. We we need to differ from the operation logs and the security logs, but we need to have them both because if you wanted to do some hunting in the operations logs or something, I guess, yeah, it's a work in progress. Uh, the reason why we haven't split it up yet is because that we the cost is not that high at the moment, but we got some questions from the FinOps side of it saying, mm, how do we identify who is paying the bill for this data and this data? Oh. <clears throat> We have some planning to do. Let's just say it like that. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, Mm -hmm. but it is possible. And I want to let our listeners know that it is very possible to split up your operational logs from your security logs. So if that is something that you want to do, you can absolutely do it with a a Sentinel
2: deployment kind of a a really simple rule of thumb for making that decision is are you writing alerts based upon that data? And if you're not, then it's probably more appropriate for a log analytics workspace than a Sentinel enabled log analytics workspace. But that's interesting feedback um, in the sense that the, the costs weren't prohibitive. And so it was actually easier to just have it all in one place. Um, Certainly, there is. You know, that's that's something you weigh when you make these decisions: is administrative overhead, having two workspaces, having to spend all the effort and time to decide what goes where, and there's costs associated with that too. And so, if you don't find the cost prohibitive to just put it all in a Sentinel-enabled workspace, then you know that that could make sense as well. So that's that's a really good point, Henrik. Is that you know it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. For some folks, it's just we, we didn't see the, the cost-benefit analysis come out on the right side of it. So we just did it this way.
0: Yeah, because we, we had the discussion. I was at Experts Live um, last year in Prague where I met a MVP from the Netherlands, I think Koo's. I think he, <laughs> I, I forgot his uh, first name. He actually wrote about a company that in the US where they split up the logs and save like a million dollars or something like mm-hmm. that because they split it up. And I went home to my team, and we talked about it, and they were like, but it's the overhead of the work we have to do, splitting it up, versus the cost that it costs at the moment, it's not even worth it. So why do we want to bother? Because it's burning in other areas, right?
1: Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The, the bill back comment that you had though is interesting because sometimes you have a security budget and then you have an overall it budget and then who is paying for what that usually i get that a lot when we're talking to customers is they're looking for a log aggregator plus a sim because they can kind of combine budgets with it and share that cost together because it's a dual purpose thing and so um, I do think that that resonates with a lot of people in the fact that look, well, all of a sudden, if the cost becomes so high and you need to do an actual bill back to a department, how do you separate that out? So
0: FinOps departments, program <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. Okay, so let's talk about getting data into Sentinel, and that's done through connectors, and there are a ton of built-in connectors. We'll link the documentation for the Sentinel data connectors. But pretty much every major connector that I can think of, you know, from firewall logs like Palo Alto, Cisco, uh, Fortinet, and then you're looking at obviously M- anything M365. There are things like Okta in there, Zscaler, uh, CrowdStrike. So there's a ton of different connectors. Were there any connectors um, that you found that were interesting? Henrik, or, or anything that you had to design specifically? Because you can also make custom connectors.
0: Yeah, we, we didn't have to design anything because it was pretty straightforward for for us in the tenants because it was cloud native only for the Microsoft products. In that meaning that we are E5 uh, customers. Uh, so we just enabled all the E5 connectors and started collecting on all those tools. Um, because all of the other logs... Um, we actually have the cut on-premise side where the firewalls and, uh, yeah, everything is, goes to uh, on-premise sim, and we have the Sentinel on the cloud sim side, which uh, acts as a forwarder, <laughs> which we will probably get back to at some point uh, later. Um, so, so it was pretty easy for us. Uh, the only extra connector that wasn't a built-in was when we wanted the um, Dynamics 365 view, Right? because in the back in the old days you didn't have the opportunity actually to look into what was going on in the dynamics 365 ifno but some smart guys in Israel made a connector for that so you can actually see if people uh, transfer change bank numbers in the fO and uh, transfer money out and stuff like that actually to look for the suspicious behavior right mm-hmm. so th- that was the only connector which wasn't a built-in at that point of time, I believe. It's, it's been okay. a long time.
1: <laughs> so your architecture, you actually have it going to a separate on-prem SIM, you said? Yes. OK. So, there are, so for our listeners, there are multiple ways to get quote unquote on-premise data to Sentinel, with Sentinel being a cloud native SIM. There's actually no infrastructure that you actually need to deploy to get it running. Uh, However, so for example, there are like firewall logs which are on-prem and maybe you have other things that you want to get on-prem. There are uh, syslog or Ceph forwarders that you can deploy and for those logs, your uh, syslog Ceph forwarder, which is just a a Linux box that has a connector that you run to connect it to your Sentinel instance. When you do that, uh, it can... You know, it can take all sorts of different types of logs and forward them onto Sentinel, and then you can see and make queries and different analytic rules off of that. I'm curious, though. I want to get back to you, Henrik. Is you're using a an on-prem Sim? Do you mind sharing either, you know, how you're forwarding those logs, or um, you know, maybe the the name of the Sim that you're using to to do that?
0: Somebody will probably come after me if I mention the name.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay.
0: It's another department, but let's just say that we have, um, I believe it's inside, the. I I should probably know because I have set it up, you know, you you guys know that in the XDR portal there is the API where you can forward out all the the Defender products alerts, right? Mm -hmm. And we have, that's the one part, and the other part is that we also forward uh, the Sentinels. I forgot because it was 2020 when we set this up, um, I actually forgot how we set it up, uh, but we are, I know we are forwarding it because the guys, uh, the RSOC, let's just call them that, mm-hmm. which is what they are, um, they get all the alerts that actually go into Sentinel today and they receive it on their side. So there's definitely a connector there. I can't remember it actually.
1: I see. So you're actually taking the data from M365 and Sentinel and then forwarding it to your on-prem sim, which your SOC is using as their main incident response. Yeah. I see. Okay. I was saying that you can also do the opposite. You You can have Sentinel be the upstream. You can also have it be the downstream. And so in your case, you're having it be the upstream where it goes to Sentinel first, it gets filtered with its analytic rules and maybe you have a rule to forward those off to your downstream SIM, uh, which is your on-prem SIM. You can also have it be your downstream SIM where it goes through, say, your on-prem SIM first and then forwards those on to Sentinel. A lot of companies do like the upstream model that you're using because Sentinel can do some filtering first and then forward maybe only like the important stuff over to your downstream so you get kind of that first look and then it gets down to your downstream so it doesn't overwhelm your sock and you can kind of tune it on the cloud side Mm -hmm. and then say for example if you're using i don't know splunk or something else then uh, you can save some money because it's all based on data ingestion, right? The, the cost is based on how much data is flowing through. So if you can limit the amount of data that's going through by having Sentinel be the upstream SIM, then that can be a, a bit of cost benefit.
2: Well, and tying this back to something Henrik said in, in passing a little bit ago, he mentioned they're an E5 customer. And so there's two types of logs that can be ingested at low or no cost in Sentinel. Number one There's a set of logs that are free for everyone. Um, If you're a Microsoft customer, period, doesn't matter what you have, what your licensing is, there's a set of logs, and this is all documented. We can put this in the show notes, that you can ingest into Sentinel and store for 90 days, no cost. It's a great way to dip your toe in the water if you're Sentinel curious. And then also, for customers who own E5, there is an E5 benefit for Sentinel. Now, there's a separate set of logs, and these are also documented and called out, where you get... I believe it's five megabytes per user and it's either per day, per month, whatever it is, um, for those set of logs too. And so those tend to be a little bit noisier logs like cloud app discovery, uh, Azure, I, I believe it's enter ID activity or sign in logs, something like that. Um, and then there's like information protection logs, I think or a couple of them called out there, but you can use that benefit to offset or eliminate that cost of ingesting those as well. So tying this all back to the larger architectural discussion, you can use Sentinel then to bring in those logs at lower no cost. And then, Andy, to your point, start to kind of whittle it down a little bit before you maybe forward that to your, your standard sim you've been using to date. And it's a great way to dip your toe in the water, but also start to get some value out of Sentinel, where it's reducing your ingestion burden at your, your destination uh, sim solution too and that's tying all those benefits together and just basically taking advantage of uh, those opportunities
0: i know a noisy log in intra-id the non-interactive silence yes. they are noisy
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah have you had any issues using any syslog or stuff orders as far as sizing have you ever run into any size issues no I have in the past, and I actually ran into a customer with some sizing issues because most IT sysadmins, when they deploy a Linux server, they think Linux is fairly lightweight. They don't really need a lot of size. And so they give you something like, you know, two cores, maybe four gigs of RAM and then a 30 gig hard drive (laughs) and 30 gigs of space. When you're looking at Ceph forwarders and syslog forwarders, you do want to make sure that you have enough space to have those logs there for a period of time. You're not using the log forwarder as your storage. Just understand that. Like it's you need to have log rotation dialed in, usually about seven days of you know, logs that are stored locally on the Ceph order, and then it gets rotated and deleted. But you need to have enough space for those seven days, and usually when you're looking at a, a specific source, for example, in my in my previous org we had Zscaler, and so I use Zscaler as a set forwarder, and with a organization about four to six thousand people, we needed at a minimum probably a hundred to one hundred and twenty gigs to maintain, and so if you want to have more just in case. At about five thousand users, you're looking at about, i would say to be safe, about two hundred gigs of space, of seven days worth of log rotation. When I talked to this other organization, they're like, yeah, we're at about, you know, they, I think they had twenty thousand users or thirty thousand users, and they ran with a hundred gig log forwarder, and I said that's that's just not going to be enough space. You're gonna need, you're gonna need a lot more. Um, and they did have their log rotation dialed in at 7 days because I don't think that's default on Linux so when you're looking at log rotation you might want to look at what the default value is but I w- you don't need it to be super long because again you're not doing any type of incident response on your syslog forwarder those logs get forwarded onto Sentinel where they're stored for you know, 90, 180 days whatever you have for your data retention so make sure that you take that into consideration as part of your architecture.
0: It's funny because you just mentioned uh, one 90 days or 180 days, right? A lot of people uh, miss the point in the XDR portal that the data is there for 30 days and then it's gone. I, I, from what I hear from people is that they, they normally just put Sentinel in the back of that to get a larger retention time. Well, mm-hmm. it was like that in the old days that if you wanted 180 days or 365, you had to have a Sentinel log analytics to spool it over or do some other voodoo stuff, I guess. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I would say it's a little bit confusing for customers for (laughs) Defender because it is accessible via the query for 30 days, but it's actually retained in the GUI, right? The, The data itself, the alerts and all of that are retained there for 180 days. So if you're looking at the advanced query and you're trying to do that like advanced searching as far as like forensics that's 30 days um so if you do want more as henrik was saying if you want more for advanced searching and and forensics and all that then yes you can forward the raw logs over to sentinel which is not free that does cost money but if if you want additional data retention you can forward the raw logs over, which obviously has a one click connector within Sentinel. There's no additional infrastructure that you have to deploy. And then you get the 90 days included with Sentinel, or you can pay for a longer retention period. Um, as long as I don't know what the longest I've seen, Adam, but I, I think you can do it for multiple years. If Sentinel? Yeah if, yeah. if you got
2: the money, we'll keep it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So,
2: um, yeah, I think.
1: Seven, 10 years. Uh, You can keep it for a very long time if you really wanted to, but it does cost money. And now you do have that cold storage Mm -hmm. and hot storage available. So you could put it into hot storage. I think I've seen customers do a hot storage of like 12 months, you know, like a year of hot storage. That way it's available. And then you can also do cold storage and archive it away and then load it in when you need to. And and you can have the cold. And cold storage is by far... (laughs) fractions uh, mm-hmm. cheaper than than uh, the hot storage. Okay, so let's talk about once you have the data in, now we want to alert off of the data. And I'm curious your architecture thoughts and how you've deployed, Henrik, because there are built-in analytics rules, but they're not all turned on. And so you had mentioned in the beginning that you had a GitHub where you deployed analytic rules so you must have tuned it at some point and got it got it in so that you can just you know do a a GitHub. How did you get that stood up at first?
0: <laughs> well like like all new tools and uh, my background is from sysadmin <clears throat> side. So uh we perhaps uh switched on all the basic alerting rules, all the built-in ones, which uh, was fine at first, right? <clears throat> but then as time goes by and uh, alert fatigue starts to set in on the sock because of all the false positives, um, yeah, it, it's, it's not recommended uh, to turn off stuff that sounds great, oh, we need that, it's a high one, it's a medium, it's a low, so we just turned it, we turned on everything, right? And then uh, the sock got uh, wasted in alert fatigue, so we had to trim it. After that, we should probably have uh, used the best practice or uh, threat intelligence, right? What is what is uh, going after our sector in our country and stuff like that, instead of just something that probably will never happen. Um, and we have learned it the hard way because we had to build actually uh, playbooks to turn off some of the things or to auto-resolve them quickly because it was insane, all the events you get in. And you, you yeah, you, add a, you drown in alert.
1: Yeah. And so when you turned on the analytics rules to begin with, you just went through the GUI to turn them all on, essentially? Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Because it <clears throat> click and we were spinning up, right? And, and that's yeah. why the, the GitHub repo came one year later. And that um, then it, it worked also great, but then if uh, people change jobs and stuff like that, so sometimes knowledge get lost. And uh, yeah, so let's just say we are really happy to see Workspace Manager at this point of time <laughs> regarding to our situation at the moment. So we are really, uh, yeah, we have tested it out and are hoping that it will solve it because we we, we, we know now it's like buying a house, right? For the first time, you don't know what you're walking into. Then after, if you buy the second house, you know exactly what to look for. It's yeah. with the same with Sentinel, I would say, because it was the first time.
1: Do you also have any scheduled queries that are built into your alert rules?
0: Yes, tons of them. Tons yeah. of them.
1: And can you explain the difference between like a schedule query and some of the built-in analytics rules?
0: Yeah, so the scheduled query, right, is a KQL uh, query that runs, uh, it can run hourly, daily, or yearly, or weekly, I believe it is. And uh, it automates uh, a process. It looks into the log data where it actually sees, hey, there's something mysterious here. Maybe you should uh, look into this. Um, that That's our scheduled queries when they run on items that don't need to be uh, Checked on immediately, right? Uh, so um, yeah, v- versus uh, defender for the isolation rule. The when a machine hits uh, high or medium alerts in defender for endpoint, it sends the immediate signal over to the sentinel part, where it's, uh, where the playbook instantly kicks in and just isolates the machine right away, with the bi-directional sync, I believe it is. Uh, yeah, that's not a scheduled query, that's actually a rule, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Yes.
1: Okay. And so as part of the analytics rules, there's also a, a portion that is UEBA or the the user analytics, you know, based rules, um the behavior-based. Yeah. And it's fairly simple to turn on. I don't know why anyone would not turn it on, but uh when you turn this on, it gives you you know, a lot more signal. Have you used the UEBA stuff within Sentinel at all?
0: Yeah, we, we have it turned on, as you said, because why wouldn't you have the what's it, uh, user and entity behavior, right? As, mm-hmm. uh, yes. Analytics, yep. from what I recall. Um, yeah, it, it keeps track of users actually. Hey, this user is acting not normal. Please investigate. <laughs> I guess that's a good thing, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it can be it can be users or entities, right? So it's that you you said you said entities. So it could be endpoints, it could be identities, um, you know, non-user entities, right? Uh, Service principles. Service principles, yep. Um, and yeah, so you can click into these and then connect them to different incidents and look at you know what's exactly going on with this user. Um, and dive into the specifics of each one. So, uh, very helpful, I think, and uh, a big part of Sentinel. But you actually need to enable it, which I think is kind of funny. Um, so, yeah, definitely do that.
2: You know, going back to the uh, scheduled queries for a second, too. One thing Henrik mentioned is they're KQL based or the Kusto Query Language. And if that gives you nightmares trying to figure out how to write KQL. Uh, one thing to be aware of is the upcoming Copilot for Security. Note the new name, by the way. Uh, Copilot for Security, one of the major features of that will be that natural language ability to describe what you want in a query and it will generate it for you. And then you can validate that it's correct and then you can use it moving forward. Um, one of the use cases we see that's going to be very valuable for Copilot for Security. Will be using it with a junior analysts, folks who don't have as much experience in the business to this point, um, still being able to be really effective because they may know what they want to do and they can describe it in plain language, natural language. They just might not be able to uh, know how to write in exactly that query language yet. So that's one of the ways. If if that again gives you pause, a way to get over that hump coming soon will be Copilot for security and can help with that, and of course many other things too.
1: There's also built in queries as well in Sentinel and so it can give you a start of maybe what you're looking for and then also on the defender side there is a GUI based where you can do drop downs and form a query based on just drop down so you don't necessarily need to know the language now of course that only looks at m365 but you can use it as a basis if you're not sure where to start copy the query over into sentinel and then modify it to what you want as well so um definitely take a look at those okay so henrik you had mentioned that you had some alert fatigue uh, when you initially deployed the analytics rules. And so part of how you solved that was actually forming some playbooks to kick off and auto-resolve some incidents so that you're essentially reducing the number of incidents or alerts. And that's that's one of the things that you can do as far as automation. So kind of talk through how that actually works. Like, What are the specifics of the playbook when something prompts and then what does it actually do?
0: I can mention one of the the rules that was running. Um, every time MS PIM is running in the tenant, it will give an uh, an alert that this user has uh, been elevated. And let's just say if you have a lot of PIM users, it will. Uh, we have like two hundred elevations by PIM every day because people, yeah, least privilege. So they need to elevate. Um, and and that was really annoying to see that we had 200 uh, incidents in Sentinel by PIM, but it was grouping them. But we had, yeah. Then the SAC came and said, hey, we need to fix this because it's just uh, noise, right? And we're drowning. So please uh, fix it. So we we did it uh, resolved. But what we probably should have done instead was to look at the alerting and actually just does it give value? I I guess. If it's, yeah, the alert rules need to give value, right, for your org. And and that's probably not what we have done to start with, but that's what we are working on at the moment now because we want to trim it. I I believe every org needs to trim it for their needs because the, yeah, you you just need to customize it for your needs. Because the banking sector in Denmark is probably targeted by whatever (laughs) out in the world, right? On a, compared to a car dealership in Denmark. Mm-hmm. It's probably not the same uh, bad, baddies going after us, I guess.
1: Yeah, so you have a specific example of a role, PIM, which is privileged identity management, so users are elevating it, and that kicks off an alert. And you said the keyword I think, which is really important, it didn't really provide value because there's so many alerts. You're getting 200 of these alerts. They're not necessarily malicious because they're part of your operational daily things. People are elevating to do certain tasks. And so you can use a playbook to do many different things. One of the things is auto resolve. And so it just closes it out. The data is there. If you ever need to go back and look at it. Yes. Just understand. I think from a risk perspective, you are accepting the risk that if A privileged user gets compromised and then elevates. You're not going to necessarily see that specific alert. You would hope it would get caught somewhere else, probably in the identity stack, um, maybe as a risky sign-in or something like that. Um, But you you accept a tiny, small risk just because the volume of alerts is so great that it's overwhelming, and so you can auto-resolve. You can also do other things like... Uh, when you see a specific alert that has an IP address, you can auto look up that IP address to see if there's any IOCs associated with it from a threat intelligence source and then toss it into the notes section. Or you can auto assign uh, an event to a specific analyst or or a security group or something like that. So there's a lot of different things you can do with the playbooks as far as the SOAR and automation goes. Have you taken advantage of any of those, Henrik?
0: Yeah, so actually we uh, played around with um, what's it called, the widgets in Sentinel, right? Uh, The enrichment widgets, I believe it's called. Uh, where we could uh, every time we see an IP address, we could do an API call to VirusTotal or Recorded Future, I think it was. Uh, we looked into that because, yeah, as you just mentioned, who knows this IP address? What is that? Then we have to do a uh, who is and stuff like that. Oh, it was just a nightmare. But before all this automation now with the widgets.
1: Yeah, I got a lot of customers who are like, well, I could just go to VirusTotal and look it up or do something else. But it's really nice when it's automatic and it does it for you and it's already in the notes. When the alert happens, there's an IP address associated with it, you go right to the notes and it can say, okay, this is a good IP or this is associated with malicious behavior, you know, so on and so forth. Precise, precisely, yeah. Um, It's the same thing with Copilot for Security, which Adam had mentioned on the KQL stuff. You can ask it questions in natural language to form you a, a KQL query. And then I had some customers say, oh, well, I could just do that in Google or something like that. Yes, you can. And it may work, but it's a lot easier to do it when you're already in the portal. You don't have to pivot to something else as well as it looks at your data within your tenant rather than just a generalization of you know what a KQL query might be, right? yeah do you have any workbooks and I, you know, cause there are workbooks within Sentinel and there are playbooks. And I think there's, there's a distinct difference between the two playbooks. I think are ones that are run, you know, as far as you, you can manually kick off a playbook too. Uh, I, I, we didn't mention that, but you can automate a playbook where it does the certain actions that we talked about. You can also manually have playbooks to run, for example, um, like when you're looking at an incident, there can be multiple playbooks that you say, I want to run this one or I want to run this one. A, a playbook could simply just be, I wanted to send a team's message to this channel to notify the team that there's this incident. It could be as simple as that, right? It could be send an email out to this DL. Um, but that's not what workbooks do. Do you have any workbooks in your organization?
0: Yeah, Uh Quick, uh, quick, uh, when we just mentioned the playbooks, uh, actually funny, you mentioned sending it to teams. Uh, we had an uh, incident where some, some, uh, a department in, in our company wants to know every time a machine gets isolated. And then we had to, you can't in Sentinel create a playbook that sends the email, but yeah, you can, but you are going to need a managed identity to actually send the email or the message to the, um, To the Teams channel, right? A managed identity. That's not a feature saying send email and Sentinel will automatically fix it in the background. You have to, yeah, you have to assign it the service principal if you use a managed identity. A P1 license for Exchange Online, and oh, it just became a nightmare. Just can't you guys just go in the poll or just go in and look? (laughs) It was a lot of work just to notify somebody on the Sentinel part when some. Some uh, alert was triggered, right? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I yeah. Uh, sorry, mini rant. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> okay. <laughs> yeah, workbooks. Um, actually, we uh, we do it for firewalls, the Azure Firewall one. We have a workbook uh, for that, uh, which is actually one of the more awesome ones because firewalls have a lot of data, right, and visualizations. And we have uh, created a lot of dashboards also, where we also use a lot of uh, workbooks in, where we uh, switch between, uh, we have a central screen in our team, where we uh, switch, uh, well, the plan is we have to switch, now it's manually, we switch between the workbooks on the dashboards, but working on it, uh, we're going to have it switch every tab in different workbooks, because there's so much um information, right? If if you want to see user sign-ins and stuff like that, you want to see some firewalls and then you want to see uh, the Azure key walls, uh, how many sign-ins and stuff. There's a lot of data that needs to be presented and we need to figure out which actually gives us value in our org. And we're also working on that because you can throw a lot of stuff on the dashboard, right? But does it actually give any value?
1: Yeah, I think you mentioned the key word there, which is visualization. And that's what workbooks are really good at is being able to visualize your data in a graphical form, which I think is good for strategic views and kind of getting an overall view of where data is trending. It's usually what I would use as far as if, you know, you needed a slide for a C-suite briefing or something like that. Um, but they can take your data, and on the back end of these workbooks is essentially just a KQL query. And you can modify that KQL query, which I'm not sure a lot of people know, but you can go into these workbooks, go into the KQL query, modify it for a specific period of time or a uh, specific user, security group, whatever it is that you want to look at. Because it, it has built-in workbooks that you have that you can use as a basis and then, of course, you can go and modify the views. If you want it as a bar chart instead of a pie chart, you can do that. And so um, workbooks are really good at visualizing your data. They don't run anything like a playbook does. They're just there for looking at data, trending, and, and your current data. And so I think uh, what you said, Henrik, was really good is is it's visualizing, and then you got to find what is useful to your org and – figuring out you know what is important to display uh, for the each individual workbook
0: we actually did uh, at the start when legacy protocols was still something to, uh, connecting to exchange online we used the workbook for that one uh, to see how many insecure uh, legacy protocols there was connecting to our exchange online that was funny to see and thank god we stopped all that legacy stuff
1: yeah there's a ton of different workbooks that are already built in you can look at some simple things like your subscription costs, you know, like wh- where are your subscription costs for Azure, for Sentinel? You can look at things like uh, identity sign-ins, what identities are using conditional access, which identities are not using conditional access, what apps are getting access without conditional access, you know, so on and so forth. There's there's workbooks for a ton of different ones. There's also, I think, some community um githubs that have workbooks that you can import Uh, you can import custom workbooks you can create your own workbook if you really want to like i said it's just a kql query on the back end so you could say for example look at one of the built-in ones take the query on the back end and then create your own maybe like all the different things are not exactly what you want you want to create an aggregate of multiple different workbooks you can do that you can just take the kql query from one and it into another workbook and it's just you know one pane of that workbook right all right so uh, really the the last thing that i want to go over is the advanced hunting which we touched on a little bit throughout but obviously if you're really into kind of that uh threat hunting you can look at uh, the different kql queries we mentioned some of the the built-in ones and if you're also, uh, you know, we mentioned that we could use different sources like security copilot. You can also use like Bing Enterprise to ask it questions in natural language to come up with a KQL query. Uh, but that's how advanced hunting works. Henrik, what has been your experience as far as hunting goes? Have you done any hunting within Sentinel or or really used any of the the KQL stuff?
0: I, I have probably stolen from Stack Overflow. <laughs> <laughs> or Googled it and, and copied it in and I got the, and then mingled it, right? Be- before the copilot era, because we are not allowed to use GPT in our company. <coughs> uh, so uh, we had to, uh, it's the manual way. Uh, we just got copilot, so I, can't, I can actually ask it now. Um, but, but yeah, I have put them together myself. But it's not my role, actually. To advance hunt, we have a sock for that. So.
1: Yeah. Very good. Yeah, you're more on the architecture side, right? I, I hope. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I also like to get my hands dirty. I, I like to see it. I, I have my own instance with my own tenant and my own Sentinel stuff.
1: I'm curious what your experience has been with uh, Copilot for security. You said you just got it.
0: Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, we only have the MS 365 Um gotcha. I'm still waiting on the getting, I yeah, I have asked to be in the preview for the other one, uh, but mm-hmm. there's a mix up with our tenant IDs
1: and subscriptions
0: at the moment. I'm working on it because <laughs> that that it's really, it's going to be
1: great. Okay. So you have the M365 co-pilot and,
2: and that yeah. has been?
0: Uh, the Bing one, the the Bing Enterprise, I believe it's renamed to something else now.
2: Yep, that's just Microsoft Copilot now. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, I I only have tried the Teams sum up.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's that's maybe the killer app of it, is that. Be able to walk into a meeting and say, What did I miss? Yes.
1: Yeah. That's it's brilliant. I use
2: that all the time.
1: <laughs> so or the the email one where you can uh ask it to help you tone down the email or I can't remember what it, what it language it uses
2: Adam, There's like, the, there's the coaching one, which will coach coaching. you on the email. And then there's the one to help you draft the email too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I do like the coaching one. Um, Cause sometimes <laughs>
1: when you're, when you're banging out an email and you hit the thing and they're like, this sounds a little hostile. <laughs> <laughs> Here's how you can tone it down. <laughs> so
0: yeah, that's great. Uh,
1: all right. Well, That's about all we had for our listeners. Anything you wanted to add, Henrik? As far as your brand, you know, where to reach you if you have questions.
0: Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn and on Twitter. Uh, X, I mean X.
2: We can call it Twitter. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, It's a whole new ballpark, the whole MVP I'm still getting used to. Uh, uh, Yeah. yeah.
1: Do you have a a blog or anything like that or website?
0: No, no, I, I, no, I write, I write articles on LinkedIn, uh, occasionally. All right. Um, yeah, that's perfect. And then I attend the CCP program a lot. I love testing out new features.
1: Yep. And that's how that's how we got involved here with the podcast was the the customer connection program the CCP and so we'll have all the links to contact henrik in the show notes and as well as the links that we talked about uh documentation for all the topics we talked about today that's our show for this week thanks for listening and watching as always our contact information me and adam will also always be in the show notes as well if you have any questions or topics you want us to talk about in the future thanks we'll talk to you guys next week